I've really enjoyed that part of the musical exploration of like recording with groups of people, um, realizing that every time you record, there's you're documenting uh, a particular group of people in a particular moment, you know, and even with digital technology and the way we can record um, in layers, I still think that's like, that's where the magic is. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken is one of my all-time favorites. In 2021, she released her first book. It's called Send Out Your Light, The Illuminating Power of Scripture and Song. It's a meditation on the truth that God gives us light, not just for our own selves, but also that we might send that light out to others. Sandra McCracken, I'm so glad to have you back on the Habit Podcast. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Good to be with you. Um, I love your book, Send Out Your Light. Um, I think it has so much practical wisdom and and good ways of thinking about um, creativity in regard to uh, spiritual discipline and, and the life of faith. So thanks for writing it. Thank you so much. I think the last conversation we had, it was still in, in progress and still feeling a little bit abstract. So it's, yeah. uh, I appreciate you speaking uh, back. It's, um, it's good to have it out in the world. Yeah. Uh, you, at the very beginning, you, I, I love this little note to self that you include. Note to self. Trust the process. Even when you, have, even when you don't have time to write, the Spirit gives the words. In him, there's no scarcity of time. Be th- faithful, be joyful, be full of trust. Um, Thank you. That, I mean, I guess that's a note for for all of us. I think there's this creative, we all have this creative impulse, right? And I don't, I still think there's a part that categorically, I don't think of myself as a writer, but that note was really helpful for me to say like, hey, just show up and do it anyway, you know? Yeah. And there's so many things we do that are like that. And we may not have a category for ourselves, but so, so that actually was in my notes as a as a prompt. And my editor um, Taylor Combs was like, you know, he just said, uh, "I think you should keep that in there." I was like, yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> so, I was wondering about that. I, I was wondering, you know, if, if it was something you had on your, you know, on your wall on a sticky note or yeah, kind of. It was. It was on my digital wall as I was writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, be faithful, be joyful, be full of trust. I, I, um, how did you settle on those three, um, categories, faithfulness, joyful, joy, and trust? Um, I mean, I, I wish I could say there was like a lot of meditation around it, but it was really just, just kind of putting something out there. So that, what would you hope for, you know? And those are things that came to mind quickly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, you, you know, know, trust is like trust is a tricky thing, and and we're we're in this like moment in time, right, where we're we have a lot of we experience a lot of advertising. You know, we experience a lot of disappointment, a lot of things that are thrown at us. It's like, oh, well, that didn't really happen the way we thought. So I think that that's the spiritual discipline of saying like I'm going to trust anyway is something that actually takes <laughs> maybe a little mantra, a little little um, reminder. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then this, just the reminder also that the spirit gives the words and there's no scarcity of time with the spirit. It's so great. Um, well, I also love the way you, you open this, um, this book with a, a very lyrical description of, 
um, of watching a room uh, come to light mm-hmm. at dawn, and and it's and the the way your vision um, um, as the light comes up, you see things that you couldn't see before. You see colors. You see, I, I guess maybe it was a you're seeing a glass or a bottle or something um, come to light in the course of a day. Um, and not the course of a day, the course of a, of a sunrise early morning. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's this, this unfolding as the light comes up, there's, um, well, beauty is a process in that it, the way you depict it, right? Cause you go from the dark to, uh, to fullness, to full light. And in, in, in that process, beauty reveals itself and you, you quote your own self. Uh, slip from from the, the song "Patient Kingdom." <laughs> Slow me down. Let love do its work. Um, and so I don't. I just, I want to talk about this idea of slow beauty. If you have anything to, um, how has the idea of slow beauty shaped your way of thinking about your yeah, my, creative work or your life? That's a good question. When I was a little girl, my my mom and dad. So my dad was a biology teacher for a long time, and mm-hmm. one of the gifts that they gave me um, that they both did a really good job of like nurturing wonder, you know, like mm-hmm. just a slowness or just. And one of the ways they did that was that we would take nature walks. They would <laughs> walks, and we'd go outside. I don't know how old I was, but from a really young age, we'd go out and take nature walks. And my dad would talk about all the scientific scientific names for things and uh-huh. he learned to do that just to annoy us when we were like in high school later you know he would yeah, just right. say like the latin names for leaves and plants and whatever and uh and we kind of loved it because it was a sense that there is a world within a world and there's a way of naming these things mm-hmm. my mom really did more of the kind of the spiritual nurture wasn't into the science side as much but would mm-hmm. also infuse like you know scripture or just uh, yeah, she just drew attention to things as we'd walk. So I yeah. think about that in, in maybe even in that opening description. And, um, you know, there's honestly, there's like high drama that happens right around us all the time and just the changes of light and changes of, you know, within us. And we don't yeah. even notice it. It just goes by. So yeah. uh, you say at one point that common grace is the reason you became a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um can you say more about that? What do, what do you mean when you, I guess it might be helpful. We may have listeners who could use some help with the term common grace. Maybe we'll start there. Yeah. The, I guess if you think about the whole story of, of God, the, the story that, um, that God invites us into is really one where first he's a creator, like he makes things and he mm-hmm. uses imagination and he speaks with his words. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this, um, light and dark and there's uh, land and sea and all these things are like differentiated. He's creating mm-hmm. order out of chaos. So um, I think about who we are before we figure out what kind of thing we're going to make just this mm-hmm. inheritance that we're all made to be created in that way. So as a songwriter, I think that's the common grace is like this. Um, there's some like that creativity matters. And so mm-hmm. when I thought about being a songwriter, even before I thought about whether I should write hymns or country songs or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, first is that imprint of like, Hey, get out there and make something. I think that that was the call of common grace for me uh-huh. in my vocation. Yeah. Uh, was country, were country songs part of the equate? Like was there a time in your life where said, maybe I'll 
do country songs? Yeah, I still love I, I still love country songs, um, and I do that for fun on the side. Try to figure out if I could try my hand at that. Oh yeah. The music that I think I listened to as a kid, I'm, I'm the youngest of, well, I think we talked about that before, but youngest of a big family. So I was influenced by music that my siblings were all into yeah. and pop music in, in that time was also very, like, it's what we would now say, call like Americana, you know, uh-huh. uh, even here in Tennessee is like that, that roots sound, rootsy sounding um, acoustic instruments and some electric guitars and rock and roll. But yeah, I think that there's that like alt country space is really where I feel most at home. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, I love that stuff too. Um, so you've, you've been journaling for since you were little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was an early a practice for me without meaning to it wasn't not necessarily every day or it wasn't some uh it wasn't a mandate but i was really mm-hmm. drawn to it and it helped me to figure out how i'm feeling or what i think and helped me to remember what i was thinking yesterday yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and and that's still a uh like you're going back to these journals all the time for for um, writing is that true i mean are you, are you going back to to find good question not not so much i don't like to read mm-hmm. i don't like to read backward but i do i think there's something therapeutic about it, putting something forward and a lot of songs do emerge so i will reflect a little bit on especially on like poetry you know segments mm-hmm. of that um but occasionally it's almost like when you're watching a movie and you kind of like squint it's like i'll look back oh, at no. it and like look a little bit through it and like yeah yeah, I want to see what I thought before, but I probably should. <laughs> you were you just made a distinction between backward and forward. What, what were you What were you talking about just then? Uh, I don't know if I've ever differentiated it that way, but yeah, I don't. I don't like to read backward. I don't like to go backward in the journals, especially. Um, I do like to revisit um, favorite books or. Mm-hmm. You know, literature or things that I feel like are really enduring. Um, and obviously I play songs over and over. So that's a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, well, there was a, there was a phrase you, you mentioned with regard to journal writing that I wanted to ask you about. I'm, I'm looking forward to my notes here. Um, oh, you said a memory of it. You said it, it, it helps. Writing helps me know my, uh, it writing helps me create a memory of an emotional frame in case I need to refer back to it for insight or for comfort or for songwriting mm-hmm. you, that phrase a memory of an emotional frame what does that mean um, I learned that word from an old hymn actually what is that hymn um, the sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus name so um, yeah, that I, when you stop and look at, well, what does that mean? Trusting a sweet frame. It's like, well, that's an emotional state. So you have like huh. a high or a camp experience and you're like, okay, I feel really great. And yeah. so, uh, but the song that hymn does it so well, kind of saying, I'm not going to trust that thing. Um, but I'm going to lean on something more solid, you know? And, and, um, so I think what journal writing does for me too, it is, even if I'm like squinting to look back because I, I wish I knew then what I know now, you know, the, um, uh, yeah, I, I guess even in that, what I'm explaining about how it's hard to look back sometimes it's really meaningful to do so because you can, mm-hmm. 
learn and get perspective, especially when you re- realize that there's repetition in some of the same things. So we kind of keep mm. hitting some of the same roadblocks. We keep hitting some of the same challenges of who we are and trying to grow through those things. So um, leaning on an emotional frame, like taking a snapshot of it, putting it aside is a way of kind of saying there's a truth that endures um, that is more reliable than my emotion in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's so. I, I don't. I don't journal much. I, it's one of those things that, for whatever reason, it just doesn't. I, I often try to start doing that, and it just never sticks. Um, but but I do think it's so valuable to get something out of your head, and you know, to externalize things that that seem so. Um, just to get just to sort of put something out there in the world on a piece of paper that you can kind of walk around. It doesn't seem like you're yeah. inside it. Sounds like, it sounds like you're, you know, it feels like it's outside you instead of, I don't know what the, what the right terminology here is, but, but that, um, mm. those, those false frames that shapes much of our thinking just to get it out onto a page where it, it, it feels like it's not me necessarily. It's just something besides yeah. me. Yeah, that's true. I was talking to a friend yesterday about her experience with like, she has um, her experience with coaching. Like she, she does uh, executive coaching or kind of does that for her work Uh and she's not in the arts or anything. She's in medicine, but she was just talking about that is such a helpful practice for moving forward. It's basically kind of being able to identify what are the things that I'm believing in that are false. And when Mm -hmm. I can name those things and put them aside, then my work and my goals can be so much more like just takes the speed bumps out of the way, you know, takes those blocks out of the way. So you can actually go out and do the thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. I, I've, I may have mentioned this on this podcast before, uh, but the, um, I heard about some service that you can send them a list of your fears and then they'll send you an email, several emails a day from your fears. I'll say, you know, dear Sandra, uh, this is your fear of loneliness. Just, just reminding you, you might die alone. And 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 the the point being, when it's when that's coming from inside you, it's like, oh no, maybe I'm going to die alone. And then when it comes from outside, you're like, that's dumb. That's not, you know. <laughs> that is really funny. It, also, it seems a little risky, but <laughs> you might believe it. But yeah, I'd do like the ten day trial and see if that. <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, I have another, you made a a claim in your, in your book that I, I'm not, I don't know what to make of it. So since I've got you, I'm going to ask you, Okay. you're talking about the idea of vulnerability. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And, uh, you said the practice of songwriting has taught me how to express vulnerability, vulnerability in three minute songs. Songwriting has helped me wrangle my own vulnerability Aiming it where I wanted to go, which I think is an amazing phrase. Aiming your vulnerability where you wanted to go. Um, but let's see what where while songs can always hold something back as if behind the veil, written words and verbal communication are right out in the open. Mm-hmm. What distinction are you drawing there between s- songs and vulnerability and written words and vulnerability? Well, some of that is, um, I think it's showing my process a little bit around writing the book as opposed to being, you know, like years of being a songwriter and then 
and then applying myself to um, this longer form of writing, there's an intimidation to that because um, you have to fill in some of the blanks. You have to, you know, with a song, there's a lot of mystery to it. There's a lot. Mm. So there's vulnerability, but everything is kind of veiled because you only have um, a very limited amount of space to put those ideas in. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have other, you have other things to lean on, like melodically you can lean on something or instrumentally you can lean on something or what happens with my voice. Like I can, I can convey something that says vulnerability, even if my words are, you know, clunky or um, straightforward. Tom Petty is a master at this, right? So, you know, painting a scene of um, painting a scene of a story and then being able to say it in such a simple way and then mm-hmm. coming to this refrain. So you don't know the whole story. You just fill in all the gaps of the story that you think Tom Petty's living, you know, mm-hmm. in your story, um, you typically the listener then fills in their own story in the gaps. So, okay, that's a long answer. But when I came to writing a book, I think I was intimidated about um, what if it's not okay? Like what if me filling in all those gaps for somebody is uh what if it doesn't have any value? What if it's mm. like irrelevant? What if it's like a waste of my time and yours? <laughs> Those are like, that is the underlying concern. But basically saying that the share, the thing that we share, like the thing that we're, if I write something and you say, that's what I've experienced too. That's the thing that I'm, uh, that makes it worth doing, you know, mm. like where it can actually be something that um, generates like, understanding or generates uh, illumination which ultimately like we said in that little um mantra that i wrote in the beginning i mean that's the that's not my job that's the spirit's job so if he's going to illuminate something um i can just be faithful to tell my story as openly as um as i feel like is appropriate for the time you know and that's like the measure of vulnerability like how much to share and when and where yeah yeah um you talk about aiming vulnerability where you want it to go. Do you have any more to say about that? Yeah. So the aiming part would be where I would hope it would land or connect with somebody else. So sharing something um, that becomes like reciprocating and it's not just me telling you some story about when I'm on tour, I'm doing something that's like completely like just self-indulgent. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste anybody's time. (laughs) So I think aiming it is saying like, what, what can you actually send out um, that would come back to you with understanding that would come mm. back to you with like someone else feeling less alone in the world when they, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's vulnerability I, can be a kind of hospitality. Oh, that's a great way to say it. I love yeah, that. An invitation in um, as opposed to that kind of hospitality that says, Hey, let me show you my collection of things. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> on bottle caps that you have for twenty-five years. You know, like, no yeah. one needs to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of vulnerability, um, one thing I learned from reading your book that I had not known is that you know uh, we will feast in the house of Zion, um, which just a song that has had a huge. Uh, impact in my life, by the way. I'm crazy about that that song. And whenever it, whenever I hear the first notes of it during the church service, I'm like, yes, this is going to be good. Um, I didn't realize that you wrote that just in the midst of, you know, the hardest time in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was not, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this was not a case of I have come through Mm -hmm. this sorrow but you wrote it in the middle of it. Yeah. You, that scripture, you know, 
it's on the Psalms record, but um, little secret would be that that scripture it's based on is really from Isaiah. <laughs> there are a lot of passages in Isaiah. I mean, it's it's closely connected to a few places in the Psalms as well, but really it was a meditation on Isaiah. And I think those prophetic words in scripture are like when there when there's this imaginative scene and you're looking, like when you see it in Revelation and there's all these crazy images and all this going on with like the horses and the, you know, these scenes that you can't really relate to. I think it, it opens up a space for us to understand that imagination is meant to give us um, like to open up a space within us, even when it feels kind of compressed or oppressive or dark Mm -hmm. around us, that actually God gives us his light. And he does that in a way that um, helps us to see that there's a hope in the future for us. So that song is a little bit dreamlike. It's Mm -hmm. because of the scripture that it was based on. And um and it's not unlike the old hymns that I'm borrowing so heavily from, like uh, How Firm a Foundation, that, that mm-hmm. hymn that just ha- it goes through these images. Um, and that also is borrowing from Isaiah, like, in, mm-hmm. um, and go, saying, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. I mean, just really borrowing these, the language of scripture to say um, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this my own personal song again. And hopefully that we share that. And in the moments where we can't, we don't know if it's, you know, where we need to sing it and, and sing ourselves into the, um, the reality that holds mm-hmm. us, you know, like we may not feel yeah. that awareness of that reality, but we're singing ourselves into it through imagination, through scripture and, and really through that embodied act of singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John John Prine talked about sometimes you're writing the songs and sometimes the songs are coming back to you. you know? <laughs> That's a great. He's so quotable. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's amazing. Um, well, uh, I, I I loved hearing I me mean, or, or reading uh, you talking about people telling you stories of of where they sang that mm-hmm. that song in, in times of of sorrow and and. Um, yeah, really difficult situations. And so, you know, you call this book, um, send out your light. (laughs) Tell you the truth. When I, when I first saw the title, I thought we were talking, this is a prayer. Hey God, you know, send out your light. And I I think the the point is we, we receive light so that we can send, send light out ourselves. It's a great way of thinking about creativity and not just in the arts, but in all the ways that we, are creative in parenting and in gardening and in our work. Um, and, uh, and that's, that is kind of how you, you structure this book, right? There's, there's part one is coming awake as a, as a maker of art. And part two is about sort of brokenness dealing with the shadow. I guess, you know, the light comes on in, in part one and the, the shadow comes in part two and part three is about, that as you use the word generative light that is that is generative uh, as we send it out into the world and maybe you have something else to say about that i don't know yeah no i think um it, the title really comes from psalm 43 and right in the middle of that psalm so the first half of the psalm is a complaint and mm-hmm. um the second half of the psalm is really like a declaration of mm-hmm. uh hope and right in the middle is this um i feel like that's the line that's the pivot you know it's like send out your light and it is a prayer it is a prayer yeah 
you know, and in the, in the context of it is prayer. And I think, um, but then as we live into it, we are embodying that answered prayer. Like we become, mm-hmm. we become like the recipients of God's light. And then, and we don't do it alone. It's not just a, it is private, but it's as with the original intent of all these Psalms, they're, they're sung together. So when you hear someone next to you singing that or affirming that, mm-hmm. um, that light obviously is just refracting and bouncing around all these different ways, you know, because um, it's not static. It's not just like stuck. Um, no. So I think that's the exciting part is like seeing how we receive God's light and send it back out into redemptive efforts and um, into the world. And like you're saying, mm-hmm. in all these different forms, different vocations, different application of it, whether that's gardening or parenting or, um, you know, spreadsheets or mm-hmm. you know whatever you might, biology, yeah. like my dad, all the Latin names, like all those things are ways of experiencing God's light. Yeah, I love that idea that, yes, it's a prayer asking God, send out your light, but but then we become a, a part of the answer to that prayer, too. Yeah. Um, and, and when we pray your kingdom come, we're in that in the, the act of that prayer, we're becoming a part of the process by which the kingdom comes. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. All right. Well, you've got a whole chapter section, whatever, on the Trinity and collaboration and the and the creative process and i i I loved um a lot of what you had to say in there um so uh, how how does trinitarian theology inform your your way of thinking about creativity um just read recently actually since since the book was finished but um read this book by fred sanders about the trinity that's been so good and he talks about um he makes the case to say that we are already experiencing so much of Trinitarian theology, but we don't name it so much. Like we experience uh, the protection of the father, uh, the, the, um, the brother relationship with the son, and then the um, comfort and counsel of the Holy spirit, like all these different roles that we hear about, Mm -hmm. like who God is in these three forms. Um, They're happening. It's happening all around us. And as we get to know God and ask our questions and go through the circumstances of our lives. Um, And then I think one of the ways that I've seen it play out for me, this theology, when I look back over my own story, just recently I saw my dad um, was a coach as well. And I saw that um, he was in Missouri inducted into the hall of fame as a coach for cross country. And just this last year, it was really special to watch this whole thing. And they had all these newspaper clippings. So cross country, you're, you have all these individual runners, but one of the headlines basically said, Hey, this team, um, this team under coach McCracken was uh, they made, they made running a team sport. And I was a, I was like, this, this period of time is like when I was born. So I, I was born into mm. this culture that would say this can be a collaborative sport. And, and not only did he run with the runners and have them like run sprints and push them really hard, but they went and they played together and they hiked mountains mm. and they um, like, there was so much other life happening around the coaching, which is why they were such a tremendously successful team, you know? Uh-huh. And, 
And so when I heard that, I was like, that is what I'm like aiming for every time I get together with a band of people to play. It's like this joy that I learned from my dad is like, how could we make something that could be one person, like a group thing? And how do we do this together? And uh, so some of it's like, oh, I've always thought I have a big family, but I think there's a deeper ethic that was at play that I'm just starting to discover. And this is like the nature it goes back even deeper than our family life and our culture. It also goes back to the fact that God is in communion with himself and that he's three in one. And, and there aren't really words to describe that, but, um, but I have, I've really enjoyed that part of the musical exploration of like recording with groups of people um, realizing that every time you record there's you're documenting uh, a particular group of people in a particular moment you know mm. and yeah even with digital technology and the way we can record um in layers i still think that's like that's where the magic is you know so. yeah um and one thing you point out in that chapter is that i mean we all you know I'm always jealous of the musicians who, you know, they, they go out and make and do this thing together. Um, still jealous of them, even after reading your, even more jealous <laughs> after reading your chapter. But, um, but you also point out that even when you're sitting in a room alone, mm-hmm. you're not really alone. Yeah. You know, you, there are all these influences that have shaped uh, what you, what you're, you can't just, yeah. you're not really alone when yeah. you're writing and, and there's not, I don't care how brilliant you are. That brilliance isn't really just coming just from inside your head. That's, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's a good point. The, the, the interplay between solitude and really learning to hear um, mm-hmm. your own voice and to hear God's voice. Um, I mean, to actually be able to differentiate that voice between everything else that's kind of yelling and demanding and buzzing for our attention Mm -hmm. throughout the day. Right. That's um, it's both. And I think that's what makes the collaboration so rich is if you really can bring yourself fully to it, knowing the sound of your own voice and the sound of God's voice affirming you and sending you into those collaborative groups. Right. And and, because sometimes family and collaboration is really hard and messy Mm -hmm. too, undoubtedly. So when there are, um, I think that's where it, it becomes like um, the the sum is greater than than the individual, you know. Yeah, right. Um, but if the individual is not actually there, if there is not a real clear sense of who that person is, you miss out on what they might bring to the group. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is um, uh, the sum is greater. I mean, the the whole is greater than some of its parts still requires that all the parts bring their, their whole selves. That's right. Uh, and you, you mentioned a minute ago, the idea of in solitude, you, you finally manage, you know, to, to filter out some of the noise and hear the voice of God and the voice of your own self. And, you know, our, our culture, our technology is so much geared toward, um, making it hard for me to distinguish between what are my thoughts, what's my voice and what is, you know, or what are my desires or my longings. And when I was in junior high, I really thought I wanted Nike tennis shoes. I thought that was like something that was was welling up from inside me. 
not realizing that, no, that was put, that came from outside me, it was put into my head and then starts to feel like me, right? This desire for Nike tennis. I saw my wife the other day, I like Maserati cars, which is really strange even to think about that I like, but I do <laughs> for some reason, probably because of that song from the 80s that said, my Maserati goes 185. And I've been thinking about that. That got in my head a long time ago. And it's hard for me to imagine that I actually, in, in sort of the deepest part of me, like Maserati cars, right? Yeah. I think that came from uh, somewhere else. That was, I think that's really well said. Um, there's a lot of money being spent on those original ideas that we think, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. um, and that's okay. I think there's, I think the trying to wake up to it, trying to name it, trying to see where those desires are coming from. And I, mm. I think it's harder than ever, especially, I mean, it'd be a hard time to grow up, I think with the amount of, kind of subtle advertising, the subtle mm -hmm. sell on desire, you know, that we yeah. are experiencing on a regular basis based on, you know, if you search for something and then all of a sudden you're getting all the ads for that thing you're searching, or if you say yeah. something in the room and you've got a device <laughs> in the room, then all of a sudden you're getting ads for the thing you were just talking. You're going to get ads from Maserati today. I, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> probably <so. laughs> a computer open, right? Yeah. Still probably won't be able to you know, buy one at that point. So thankfully, yeah, that's right. Uh, Natural barriers. Yeah, right. But then on the other hand, so, so okay, we've got these external voices that we mistake for our own voice, except for the fact that our voice is also shaped by the people around us, right? I mean, that's, and that is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and that's so, right. So the, one of the terms that's really, really commonly used right now, um, you know, just like to to self-identify. Right. And yeah. Kurt Thompson, I just read his book um, again, actually the um, soul of desire. And he's mm -hmm. talking about that. And he basically said, you know, psychologically speaking, no one self-identifies. We identify by way of others. Like we identify yeah. in groups. We are meant right. for community. Yeah. And so I think that when we experience that, that's actually freeing. And then we, um, and, and you're, you're right. I mean, I think even sometimes our own inner voice is so off base and we have to not take ourselves so seriously. We have to, you know, practice confession and come back every, you know, in regular intervals and say like, have mercy, God, because I, yeah. I probably am. Uh, I just signed up for a Maserati and I don't even know why, you know, like <laughs> I, just ordered some, I just ordered a Tesla or whatever, you know, I don't even know how that happened. Yeah, so right. I think that that's, and there's, there's, I think you get what I'm saying. I think just the idea of being attentive to those things as much as we possibly can, but also just knowing that that's part of what it is to be human, you know, yeah, it, yeah. we don't, we don't, give ourselves our own name. We receive a name. Except yeah. my grandfather, Abe, said, I mean, he, he told a lot of tall tales. And I'm sure this is one of them. He said that his parents didn't name him. They waited till he could talk and then asked him what he wanted to be named. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that that's even funny is a test to the fact that we don't, we don't, you know, oh, name ourselves. Great. He well, said, what he said was they called him Abe Jr. until he could, until he could talk. And then they said, ask him what he wanted to name. He says, you know what? Abe Jr. is fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great picture of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so something for you to, th I know your, your uh, son, uh, your, your little one is, is uh, too young to name himself, but, but you might, when he gets a little older, you might want to ask him what he wants to be named. <laughs> That's right. 
Um, okay. Well, I always end these conversations with a question. Who are the writers who make you want to, to write? Yeah, I, I feel like I should have some new answers. Um, on well, that's that. right. I've already asked you this question. Been, no, I just think I want I want to be thoughtful about it. And I can say I just read, um, just finished Brett Lott's uh, Jewel, and man, yeah. I was just so blown away by that. It's, Is that it, a recent book? No, it's not. It's actually one he wrote. I think it was in the nineties, but okay. it's, it's fabulous. Um, and then also reading um, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, and that's. I think what what is profound about that book for me is the way that I mean she's it's incredibly heavy content mm-hmm. and really important content but she's also she uses so much story so much metaphor like it's just embedded in the way she talks is just yeah. metaphor and it makes it makes it so much more um it reminds me of just like biblical language of being able to just connect to the ocean or to the river or to you know when you take mm-hmm. something and you put it around metaphor so those two um have recently just really uh been made a huge impact um and also kurt thompson's new book so mm-hmm. i would say those three are are fresh on my mind and shaping my thoughts these days yeah i think kurt thompson's uh the the, the soul of desire uh that's something that I'm actually planning on by the time this, this uh, episode publishes, I'm probably will have written a couple of uh, Tuesday. You know, I, I write my weekly newsletter and, and uh, that, that book has so much good stuff for, for people who want to, to do art or who just yeah. also just want to be fully human. Yeah. Uh, such a, such a great book. So I'm glad you mentioned it. All right, Sandra McCracken. I'm so glad you were here. Um, yeah. Well, who knows? We may have you may have you back on soon again. That sounds great. Well, All right. Anytime. It's great to chat. Thanks for being here. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. Thank you.